This is Infants on Thrones. Listener Action. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is our November 2018 Listener Essay Contest, where you, the listeners, get to say what you want to say, how you want to say it, where you want to say it, and it is more than a privilege that that where gets to be here, that we get to host these on Infants on Thrones, where so many of us are all infants sitting on different kinds of thrones, right? Today's essay comes from Nicole and is titled The Lazy Valedictorian. And after you listen, please go to our website and vote for it and provide the author some personal feedback. Winners will be announced in early December. First place gets $200, second place $100, and third place $50. All right, ready, set. All right, go ahead. The Valedictorian of Mormonism, i.e., the laziest one in the class. Valedictorian. I didn't purposely set out to achieve such a great honor. Well, I take that back. Had I consistently tried to be the best member of the church I could be? You bet your butt I did. That's what got me into so much trouble. In the fall of 2010, I was teaching the 15-year-old Sunday school class, and the subject of persecution came up. Now let me preface this anecdote with the point that I was a darn good Sunday school teacher. I researched my lessons intensely and brought true doctrine to the table each week. My students liked me, trusted me, and brought me cookies at Christmas. When I asked my kids if any of them had ever experienced persecution, a young lady raised her hand. Yeah, one time a guy told me I was stupid because Joseph Smith had like a ton of wives and our church is really weird. Can you believe that? Joseph Smith never had a bunch of wives. Hmm. Well, I don't think he did, but you better let me check on that so we can know the truth for sure. We know Brigham Young had multiple wives, but I'm unsure about Joseph. I'll get back to you guys next week. That fateful exchange changed the course of my life forever. I kicked it into overdrive, fact-checking my students' denial of Joseph Smith's polygamy. I am a bit of an achiever. I despise the word overachiever. For one thing, it's overused. For another thing, it's pejorative. For a third thing, it makes little sense. Achieving things is great, especially when it is one of the pillars of your identity. Back to Brother Joseph. Turns out he did marry people besides Emma. Oh, I did my Mormon due diligence and spent lots of time, but only on fairmormonlds.org and deseretbooks.com. This led to some interesting conversations with my husband and an uncomfortable follow-up the next Sunday. So, just to clear up that question about Joseph Smith from last week, yes, it turns out he did marry multiple women, uh, more than a few, so uh, feel free to ask your parents if you have any other questions. I was thorough, honest, and succinct with my trusting students, but I felt that the matter was just not finished for myself. There were footnotes to follow up and source materials to double-check. This was kind of a big deal for me. I was a stalwart A++ Mormon woman, personal progress award winner, speaker at seminary graduation, temple married, producer of multiple progeny, Relief Society presidency, primary presidency, scripture chase champion for heaven's sake. Remember, 
achiever. I strove for nothing less than excellence in my academic career, my research career, and my spiritual career, of course. I was out to get to the bottom of this strange finding. Joseph Smith marrying lots of ladies? Sounded absurd. I plunged down the rabbit hole with a fierce determination that there is nothing that can't be solved with hard work and the attainment of further light and knowledge. I read books. I listened to podcasts. I researched. I journaled. I prayed. I counseled with my husband, studied the scriptures. I attended every extra state conference meeting, Relief Society meeting, training meeting available. I listened to every second of general conference. Now let's be honest, I was magnifying the heck out of my church commitments and diving into my prayer and scripture study with ponderizing as my battle cry. I was determined to be the best bleeping Mormon woman that ever existed, because that would fix it. That would fix my religious world that was crumbling around me. In 2014, when our stake held a special adult session where members could anonymously submit their questions for the stake presidency to answer, I was on it. I carefully composed a dozen questions covering everything from members attending pride parades to the second anointing to the financing of the City Creek Mall. I still remember the exact moment when the first counselor in the stake presidency said, all right, let's get to your questions. And then he proceeded to read my first question word for word from the pulpit. I sat up straighter and stared at the man. Was he really going to address polyandry in front of all these faithful members? Then he read my second question out loud, word for word. What was happening? Was this whole state conference session just for my questions? I looked around the very sizable congregation. Did anyone else know that I was the origin of all of this? I elbowed my husband after the third straight question was read with a delighted smile on my face. Thrilled with this new achievement, my husband took, told me to knock it off or we would be outed. After all, we were sitting right next to my parents. Here it was. My hard work and persistence was about to pay off. I pulled out my little notebook and my pen. It hovered expectantly over the page. This was it. Except it wasn't. And it didn't. The answer to every question was, because that's the way Heavenly Father said to do it. Or, we'll find out in the next life. Huh? That was the extent of this special meeting. These guys clearly didn't know the meaning of putting effort into their answers. So, we left the meeting with disappointment and, spoiler alert, several future meetings with our bishop and stake president. So much for anonymous submissions. That's okay. I resolved to try harder on my own to clarify these issues. The funny thing is, the harder I tried, the more I failed. I started to notice my leaders saying that people who find fault with the church are just apathetic. Quote, people only leave the church for no good reason. Unquote. My father-in-law. Quote, what kind of patty cake taffy pulled experience is that? Unquote. Jeffrey R. Holland. Quote, let us not weary in well-doing, unquote, Spencer W. Kimball. Quote, it's the easy way out to just leave, unquote, ward member. Quote, are you praying? Are you reading your scriptures? Unquote, my bishop. Am I praying? 
I felt like the world had turned upside down and inside out. I was working harder in the areas of religious knowledge and spiritual foundation than I ever had. Ever. This is how it works, right? This is how you fix it. And all that historical and theological rigor seemed to get me was looks of consternation from my bishop and stake president. Guys, I'm doing the work. I'm putting in the hours. Them. Uh, how does your husband feel about this? Maybe you should take a break. The more effort I gave to explaining, citing sources, clarifying origins of doctrine and church culture, the more they perceived me as a no-good lazy Mormon who just didn't want to do what I was asked. Pray, pay, obey. It came to a head when my husband and I met with our stake president. Looking at my husband, he said, So do you have any specific concerns I can help with? Me, pouncing on the opening. Why, yes. Chapter 20 in the new seminary manual is on polygamy, and I'm quite concerned about how they portray Joseph Smith's relationship with Helen Mark Kimball as sanctioned by God. I would rather not have my 13-year-old son thinking that God wanted a 30-something man to take a 14-year-old as a wife. I strongly disagree with the way the information is being presented. My stake president. Hmm. I'm not really aware of this new material. Um, I think I understand your concern. It sounds reasonable. I'll look into it. I'll look into it. The death knell of any subject at one of these meetings. He never got back to me. The highest priesthood authority I could gain access to had no idea what was being taught to the youth under his stewardship. I had scoured the newest seminary manuals for unsavory subject matter that I felt would be detrimental to my children whom I have stewardship over, and he brushed me off with four little words. How could this be? I was making great gains. I was bringing real evidence and concerns to the table, and their lack of effort was trumping me every time. The most painful aspect of detaching from this now abusive relationship was the idea that they considered me lazy. That word... Oh, that word. I had strived my whole life to avoid being labeled with that one word. Now here I was, in the eyes of my family, friends, and ecclesiastical authority figures, a no-good Mormon that just doesn't want to do what is required. I was certain I had leveled up at least a dozen times when it came to church history, doctrine, policies, LDS culture, gender roles, temples, church politics— Years of running primary programs, orchestrating Relief Society activities, visiting teaching, Cub Scout pack meetings, talks given, casseroles delivered, lessons taught, testimonies bared. Don't you dare use that word on me. Me. Look how hard I'm working on my spiritual understanding. Them. Your disobedience indicates laziness. You probably want to sin. My years of study, effort, preparation, and tears were all for naught when it came to earning those spiritual gold stars. You can only attain summa cum laude in the LDS institution by eschewing rigorous religious intellectual pursuits. Damn it! Guess I was not as smart as I thought I was. Turns out, if you try too hard, you're lazy. And if you don't ask any questions, you win. Hey, that was great. All right, listeners, don't forget to go to our website and vote for this essay. Provide some feedback. And if you've got something you want to say and you can squeeze it in before the end of November, 
Record your own listener essay. Send it to us. We'll post it. Come support us on Patreon. And as always, thanks for listening to Infants on Thrones. Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew Ryan. Carol Dutchley. And I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. If you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones. Oh, yeah. And one final thing. Uh, just because I've been getting more of these essays than I planned on, it's going to stretch into early December. Uh, so maybe December 1st, December 2nd will be our last listener essay. You can vote for any or all of these. So I, I don't want anybody to I don't want anybody to be confused and think that you only have to vote for your favorite one. Now, when you go and vote, you can vote, you can rank it as anywhere from one to five, how much you like it, and vote for as many of these as you want to. It's the quantity of people that vote and the scores that they give that are going to determine the final winner. So don't feel like you have only one vote to say you can vote for every single one of these essays and provide feedback to the authors for every single one of these essays. I know they would love to hear what you think because they did this to share it with you. So please go to the websites for the essays that you like and that you want to vote for and do that. And we're going to be doing this (laughs) for the next little while uh, because I'm still getting essays coming in. But I'll stop it. We won't go further than the first week of December. And this, like everything else, is a canned message. So if you've heard this before and you don't want to hear it again, maybe I should have told that before. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for... Blah.